to Superman Forever Radio, Episode 3. This week, is JMS the first symptom of the death of monthly comics? What can you do with an army of Jimmy Olsons? Why Superman isn't Rocky Balboa? And where were you when Superman died? Hello everyone, welcome back to Superman Forever Radio, a weekly show dedicated to Superman and all of his incarnations. I am J. David Weeder, your mild-mannered host, and I want to start off the show by talking about, you know, the show that talks about a fictional hero to thank some real heroes, veterans. This past Thursday was Veterans Day, and I simply cannot understate the real-world bravery that every member of our armed forces possess. So thank you for those that have served, and to those that are still in harm's way, you're in my thoughts and prayers. And uh, now to to switch gears, we have a lot to cover this week, beginning with a new feature of the show, The Top Five. From the home office in Kryptonopolis, this week's Top Five is The Top Five Songs on Lex Luthor's iPod. So starting from number five, first song is Jimmy Olsen's Blues by The Spin Doctors, followed by number four, You Could Be Mine by Guns N' Roses. Number three on his, on his playlist is Superman's Dead, Our Lady Peace. Number two, When You're Evil by Voltaire. And the number one song on Lex Luthor's iPod, the most listened to track that he owns, Pocket Full of Sunshine by Natasha Bedingfield. I'm really excited this week because we got our first listener email. And, uh, you know, it it was perfectly timed because it ties right into what's happening with Superman uh, around DC Comics and specifically into the Superman books directly. Now, the email is from Jared, who writes, Hi, just finished the second episode of your new podcast, and I really liked it. The info about the radio show causing havoc for the KKK was really cool. One of those things where it feels like the spirit of the character leaked into the people producing him. What I'm interested in talking about, though, is about what I thought was the reason why Earth One came into being. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, I haven't read the book. I don't own it and have it in my hands. Money's really tight at the moment, and I really can't afford much in the terms of comics right now, let alone 20 buck hardcovers. But I've read all the preview pages, and I've pretty much read what it's about. But I think the two big reasons why this book has been successful, and it definitely has, DC's called for a second shipping before the book was released to handle all the pre-orders. And as I recall, the only thing that's beating the book right now in terms of comic book trades, is The Walking Dead, which, considering the TV series being a rave success, is still pretty good. Is the format and how the book makes the reader relate to Superman. Since I'm listening and writing into a Superman-themed podcast, you could probably guess that I don't hate the character. While my first love in comics will always be Batman, I still really like Superman as a character and find him very interesting and complex and sympathetic character, if not completely relatable. What I didn't expect when I read the preview pages was just how much more relatable the character appeared to me. For context, I'm 21 years old, going to be 22 on the 18th of this month, actually, going through college and just trying to figure out what I could do with my life that will make me happy and how to get there. Now, in Earth-1, this character, who I've always liked, is pretty much in the same situation, 
talking about it in similar ways, in ways that I feel that in in a way that feels real, really solid to me. Plus the fact that the things he's doing is stuff like trying out and getting calls for every sports team in Metropolis, and going to large private sector science companies makes for that twinge of escapism in the face of regular problems, is what to me makes superhero comics awesome. Now you could say and did in your podcast that Superman Birthright also did that, which I would agree to to a certain extent. I really enjoyed Birthright and considered it the best Superman origin story in regular comics. But wait, what makes Earth One more profitable, and another reason why Superman's Secret Origin, which wasn't bad, but I think at the end got really mired in the current continuity, wouldn't work, is the format of the one-and-done hardcover. DC Comics, now DC Entertainment, has a special relationship with Random House, and, as I recall, the best-selling book they've worked in selling so far was The Joker, which is another full-storied hardcover with little to none ties to the greater DCU continuity. Like it or not, the books with little ties to the continuity are the ones that sell the best. And Random House has a strong enough pull to make those books a bigger draw in your greater book chain stores like Borders. I will agree on two things, though. It was sad that there was little to no Lois Clark stuff in this volume. But I would think that would start happening in the sequel, which DC would be dumb not to do at this point. And the villain in this did have a pretty bad design. Looked like Lobo got lost in a Dia Las Mirtos celebration in Mexico City. Either way, I think it's been more or less a success, a strong put way to put the character in a different context that teenagers and young adults can relate to, in a format that's a little more common for those that are used to getting more full stories in trade format, like manga. It's really not designed so much with the hardcore faithful in mind, or those that care where it fits in within continuity. And I doubt this will change your mind, but I thought you might be interested in a different perspective. I hope the show uh, keeps going and gets even better over time. Signed, Jared. And Jared, I'm glad you're really enjoying the show. The Before I forget, the KKK story was called Clan of the Fiery Cross. I didn't, I forgot to mention that last week. And it is online, and I'm going to put the link in this show, this week's show notes. And, uh, you know, as, you, despite my personal feelings with the book, I'm glad Superman's back on top. I did double check the numbers, and looks like it did beat Walking Dead. It is the number one graphic novel. And uh, while your first love is Batman, I would never slam anybody for liking Batman or any other hero. It's, you know, that's a preference. Um, certainly, I wouldn't want to be slammed for liking Superman. So, you know, if anybody wants to write in, and they may be a Green Lantern fan, a Spider-Man fan, you're not going to be judged here, and I won't allow judgment on the message boards. Um, we're all in this. It's a fan podcast. We're here to enjoy it. So um, I plan to keep it that way, and this is a place of respect. Now, you did mention uh, the book selling so well to a, a new level of readership. And it is, it is Superman for a new audience. And maybe breaking, no, not reinventing the wheel was a good thing. And while, you know, my personal feelings for the book were it was good, not great, it is bringing in new readers to Superman. And the character hasn't gotten this much attention since he died. So it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. And ho my hope is it acts like a gateway drug. And new readers, you know, take this opportunity to explore some of the other stories like Superman Birthright or Secret Origin or All-Star Superman and it brings a whole new generation of readers in. And I think you, what you pointed out to me, at least, you know, when I reflected upon it, was this is a really good time for older fans like me to use the attention to the character to share the goods, to share those other stories. And ironically, a sequel to Earth One was announced this week due to the huge success of the graphic novel. There was a second printing already ordered based on pre-orders alone. And ironically, though, the book's success is now affecting the ongoing titles. Because this week, you know, when it was announced, 
J. Michael Straczynski also announced that he's leaving his writing duties on Superman and Wonder Woman to write the, the fast-track second volume to Superman Earth-1. An, an act which Mark Wade stated was, I think we call that pulling a Palin. And, uh, you know, actually it kind of spurred an all-new debate because fanboys went into a frenzy. As Jared pointed out, the best-selling books right now are the graphic novels and books written. A lot of the floppy books are written for trade paperback for those sales. So continuity, you know, has become less and less of a draw. And while the question of, you know, where do the monthly books fit in is already put on the table, this really, you know, with the move of DC prioritizing the Earth-1 sequel to the point of pulling a writer off a monthly book mid-story just spurred a slew of questions of whether or not the end of the monthly book was near. And JM, it was ironically JM, him, JMS himself who shot down the theory. Uh, he stated that, uh, you know, he originally came on board to DC to write Earth-1. That was his priority. And in the meantime, uh, while he was doing that, he took on Brave and the Bold and took on Superman and Wonder Woman. And he added that while the future of comics does seem to be in those original graphic novels, it's not intended to supplant the monthly book, at least not at this moment. And according to Straczynski, the move was at his request in order to focus on the graphic novel. Now, Chris Roberson, or Robertson, takes over the scripting duties with Superman issue number 707. And Eddie Barrels will return to art duties with 708, working off the story notes that Straczynski had put in. So the grounded story will continue, just with the new scripter. And the Earth-1 sequel has no formal release date. And at this point, the monthly books are still going. Now, eventually, I, I have a theory that by the time the, the children who are being born at this point are, you know, our age or in the 20s, the the paper monthly book will be gone and we'll be re they'll be reading it on pads. And I fear for that future. But at the same time, it's hard to, you know, going back to kind of what Jared touched on, I remember being a younger reader when Man of Steel came out and John Burns Superman and being told, that's not my Superman. I'm a Kurt Swan man. I'm, and it's... I, basically, Jared, what you pointed out was uh, I'm stuck in my ways. I'm, at this point, I'm 33, and I've been collecting comics for the bulk of my life. And it's hard to accept some of the new technology and new ways of looking at the characters. So, in the future, I do pledge to be more open-minded and try to look at the potential for the books. And I thank you for writing in. I do I highly appreciate you listening to the show. And, uh, by the way, happy birthday, Jared. You turn 22 this Thursday, November 18th, which is, ironically, the anniversary of the death of Superman, which we're talking about next. Hey, comics, killed off the Man of Steel and about with an underworld villain. Superman died in edition 75. The ink and paper format that gave him life 54 years ago did away with him Wednesday. I thought nothing could kill him but uh, kryptonite. It's about to close the book on one of its legendary heroes. Jeannie Most reports, can it be true? Superman will die November 18th at the hands of a villain named Doomsday. Thursday will be the 18th anniversary of the death of Superman, and there could be no better time to look back on the story that changed it all. And I've asked my friend Travis Pyle to join me to discuss this monumental story. 
Okay. Are you, are you doing all right, Travis? Yep. Okay. Well, I know that you're a big fan of the, you know, the, the death of Superman storyline. Yes. And um, do you remember when the news broke that he was going to die? It's it's hard to remember the exact uh, time. You know, I don't remember if I heard about it too far in advance. You know, because you know back then that was before that was before the internet really blew up like it is now. There wasn't podcasting and all that stuff, so you know it was hard to get the news too far ahead of time for for people like me who who didn't have that stuff. Well, I actually, ironically, I still have the clipping from September of '92 where they actually announced it. Yeah. I have it framed in my collection. And I think my first reaction was, you know, they said Doomsday is going to kill Superman. I'm like, who is Doomsday? I was kind of miffed right. because I thought, well, if somebody's going to kill him, it should be Luthor or one of his traditional enemies. Yeah. And I just remember the news. I mean, the news hitting it was I wanted to say it was like nothing I'd seen before. But then I remembered a few years earlier when Robin got killed. But it didn't, yes. it didn't hit this. It didn't hit this level by any means. I mean, this was no. This was huge. Well, it, it was it was apples and oranges. You're looking at a character who the American people voted to have killed with Robin. People hated the character, and plus, he was a sidekick. He wasn't the main event, right? Right, and he he was the second Robin. He, you know, there'd been one before, so it wasn't, you know, like there had never been another Superman. Not really. No. Well, Captain Marvel, which came close. Right. In fact, there was but a lawsuit. Was, <laughs> right. And I believe he was, uh, Marvel was a direct copy, right? Oh, uh, yeah. It was ruled so in court. Right. But yeah, see, I, I hadn't read anything up to the point of the death. I hadn't, you know, been reading it. Like I said, I was, I was, uh, I was a Batman guy. That's what I was always following. So, I have to say that, you know, I was shocked to hear that they were going to kill him. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, it didn't hit me probably like it did you. Well, at that time, honestly, if I'm being honest, I was actually more of an X-Men guy. Okay. And, I mean, at that point in the in the early 90s, it was Marvel age. They had, oh, X, yeah. you know, Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man number one was huge. X-Men, the, new, the second series, was huge. Right. And I, you know, I'd followed Superman in the early burn time and then kind of trailed off. Mm-hmm. And certainly, you know, that this got my attention. Because right. I, I wasn't even completely aware of the way the w- books worked at the time, which was there were four titles. Uh, mm-hmm. Superman, Adventures of Superman, Superman the Man of Steel, and then Action Comics. But they, right. were, they were basically operating as one weekly book because the, I mean, even though they had different creative teams... They, you know, followed the storyline all the way through. Right. It was one storyline. Well, for me, for me, this story is what is what caught my attention, what focused my attention on Superman. Oh, definitely. You know, I was the kid that I, at this time, I had only been reading comic books for a few years. I got involved in 89, around the time the Batman movie came out. And before that, my... My contact with Superman was was the Super Friends, probably. And that's kind of where I began. Super for Super Friends in the uh, Christopher Reeve movies. Yes, yes. 
but Super so Friends it, was the first one I remember. Right, right. So see, I hadn't, and and I I like the character in that aspect. As far as I like the character in the universe more so than I did just a sing the singular character himself. And I like I wasn't really into him. I didn't I didn't hate the character, but I can't say that that I liked him that much until they killed him. And that was the thing. The, the the books were struggling at that point. Right. Because even only the diehard fans were really reading Superman. It, 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 the viewpoint was more in the dark and gritty. Yes. Yeah, it was like, and, uh, the, yeah, Dark Knight Returns. Oh, yeah. And that was but, the... You thing. know, I, I always kind of equate it to when you were a kid playing with your friends and friend would say, you know, I'm bulletproof. And the other friend would be like, well, I'm everything. You know what I mean? When you're a kid and you're playing and being silly. Yeah. And that's what Superman was to me. He was everything proof. And there was Batman was a guy just like anybody else. And he could die. You know, even even like a Green Lantern, you take away his ring, he's just a normal guy. Yeah. So I mean Superman, you know that he was he was unrelatable until Doomsday showed up. And then it was like, Oh, he can be killed. Or at least that's what it was like for me. Well, yeah. And, well, let's talk about the day the book hit, November 18th, because Thursday is the eight, the 18th anniversary. 18 okay. years. You know, a kid born that day would be legal. <laughs> right. And here that I was. Weird. I was I was 15, and I, I didn't actually didn't get to the comic shop that day because I had school. And I know friends that actually missed that day just to go buy the book. And that day stood out. I mean, it was there was a bit of a gloom over the school in amongst the the dorks, the fanboys, right? And of course, we were we were debating, you know, how long is it going to be till he comes back? Did you get the issue? And half of us didn't because the lines were around the corner, right? It was a phenomenon, and I mean, just, yeah, it was. You know, the best thing I can equate it to now was Michael Jackson dying. Because a, yeah. a week before that, you know, the guy, his career was on hard time. Suddenly he's dead and everybody suddenly becomes a fan. Right. And it yeah, was... I don't remember, I don't remember thinking about whether or not he was going to come back. Because they'd never done anything, you know, with the exception of what, back in the, back in the 40s and the 50s, maybe. I, I remember hearing something about, you know, him being killed in the past in the storyline or something. Yeah, but they were called it was an imaginary story where Luke Thor actually right. did kill him and but it was never meant to be continuity. This was the real deal. Right. And it was and so the first time it happened. Oh yeah. And my thought was, wow, I can't believe they're going to kill him. And yeah. for the first time my attention was focused on on him. And that was most of fandom at the time. Suddenly yeah. Superman was, you know, across the board in the news and the number one character. Yes, absolutely. I mean, they sold out that day. I mean, it was almost impossible to get a hold of it unless you were in line. And then the second printing was done about a week later. Mm -hmm. And see, I read it in trade, which I remember coming out incredibly quick. And I ended up with a right. third printing. And now, of course, I have the issue. You can get it. I mean, it shot up to $75 the same day, wow. which was the going rate or maybe more in some cases. But 75 was the average. And, you know, now I'm happy, you know, I it, I have the bagged version, I have an unbagged version, 
but you can find them two fifty to five bucks on the high. Right. I remember the excitement of wanting to read that issue, and I was I was lucky enough to have an older brother who uh, was is into this stuff too, not as strongly as like you or I are, but I I think part of it is not so much that he's into it is is he was wanting it was something that him and I shared, and I think that's what made it so special. And he was in college at the time. I would have been, uh, let's see, you and I are the same age. I would have probably been a sophomore in let's high see. school at the time. I, I was a freshman no, at the time. I was, I was a freshman. You're right. I was a freshman, too. Because uh, um, I, I would have just turned 15 the month before. So I was lucky enough. To, he was 20, so he was in college and had the free time to go, you know, stand in line and get the book. And when I got home from school that day, he had the book and he waited for me and we ripped it open and we read it. And the most surreal thing for me was to see the local news do a story on the, when was the last time you could remember a comic strip or a comic book or anything of that nature making the news? Um, I'd probably be the closest and that was just fleeting, Mm -hmm. but this was, I mean, it was, it was like when uh, a head of state died. It was, it was, I mean, they were legitimate mourning on the, on the evening news. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit, talk a little bit about the story itself. What, as far as the, you know, the doomsday story, how does that stand out? What things, you know, immediately pop into your head? The fact that in the initial part of the story, he beat almost the entire Justice League. With one hand tied behind his back. With one hand behind his back. Now, in fairness, it was kind of a Bush League, Justice League. I yeah, mean, it was like, what was it, like the Justice League International? Yeah, and you had Maxima, Booster Gold, and Blue Beetle, and... Uh, right, Guy Gardner. Guy Gardner, and uh, Bloodwind, which was actually Martian Manhunter. Oh, I see. That I didn't know. Yeah. They later revealed it. And he was the guy in the white suit with the uh, the, with ju- the ca- red cape? Yeah, and the jewel in his chest. Yes. Okay, now I, I didn't know that, that that was Martian Manhunter. This is the first time I'm hearing that. That's, yeah. that's awesome. That's cool. Yeah. Well, it made sense after the fact, but I think yeah. what bothered me, because I read it in trade, was the changing art. Because this was, you had, uh, I mean, two of the books were... Okay, Art. And then you had, like, Tom Grummet, who was sharp as can be on Adventures of Superman. Right. And then you had John Bogdanovi, who had the really angled, almost animated look. Uh-huh. And it was just, it was jarring. But Yeah, in fact, I was looking through the book a little bit ago, and I noticed that, and it's not, it was, it's not really that big of a deal, but I noticed that, depending on who drew him, he had teeth. And then the bone protrusions, and some people drew the bone protrusion as his teeth. Yeah, it's just one of the one of the things I noticed. But I mean, well, I mean, if you, it was still the way the books worked were still, you didn't have that anywhere else because you had four different creative teams who would meet every now and then, and then they would write their stories, you know, fairly cohesively, surprisingly right. so. Yeah, but it was just like a they summit. were. Yeah, then they were just different creative teams you could tell the difference and actually you know i oh, go ahead. i think they i'm sorry I, I think they wrote it so well though that you don't notice i mean 
it's easy to look past the changing art. Like, I don't notice it as, as much because, like you said, the story is so cohesive. Yeah. I mean, it did. Uh, and one thing that stood out, we were rereading this recently, mm-hmm. was the family subplot, which didn't hit me at the time. The small single mother family where the dad had left and the kid Mitch was mouthing yes. off to her and talking about what a what a dork Superman was. Right. I remember thinking, what is this doing in here? This is way too much attention to these people. But it does play yeah. out a little bit in Funeral for a Friend, which which we'll talk about. Right. But I think, though, I think what, you know, and this is just a guess, but what I would imagine, that kind of probably mirrored what people were, you know, what fans were thinking of the character at the time. Oh, certainly. It's, it's a, it, They're building up that whole thing of you don't know what you've got till it's gone. And I think that's what Mitch represents. Okay, yeah. He's, you know. He's, he was he's a, supposed to be the every teenager. Right. Oh, Superman's stupid. And then and all of a sudden, his house blows up, and the first person he yells for is yep. Superman. Superman. Well, there was, I remember reading, this was one of the most monumental reads that I can remember. The first time I was really anticipating, and I read it with a knot in my stomach, just dreading every page. And you'd watch the panels go from regular panels and they'd start streamlining down till the last issue. You know, it was just one page, one panel. Right. And I can't believe how well that worked. Yeah. Really just cranked up, you know, the action level to a notch and just that pace. And I remember my heart beating as I started getting towards the end. And I found Mm -hmm. myself a little misty eyed. Yeah. You know, I, I don't. I didn't get misty, but like I was just like, when I got to that point at the end, and it folds out, and was it a triple spread? Uh, it would be yeah, triple. And it was just it was just like, whoa! I mean, you knew it was coming, but at the same time, it's like you you don't necessarily you think that there's still a chance maybe something is going to change. Like how, how many times have you, even in like in a comic book or a TV show, they threaten to somebody that you like, a character you like is going to die and they don't. Yeah. Because they never but killed I, the main characters. Right. But I think I might have, I think probably if I know myself, I probably flipped that open and saw him dead and then probably flipped it back again. You know, you know what I mean. Just to take it all in again. Yeah, it was a it was a lot to take in. It was mon- I mean, you hadn't seen a character at that level bludgeon to death before. No, and not just him. I mean, the Justice League and he Doomsday punched Supergirl so hard she turned into a pile of goop. <laughs> right. And that yeah, that was I mean, it was a nauseating story. And I double checked the the actual individual issues I have now. I can't believe mm-hmm. that as violent as that was, as brutal as Superman got beaten. That the comics code stamp stayed on there, right? Yeah. Back when they that mattered, because that yeah. a lot of the breaking glass was directly against the code. That was one really? of the weird little nuances they had, and they had it on Saturday morning cartoons that you couldn't show windows shattering. Huh. That's that's, that's news to me. I didn't know that. Yeah. You know, I knew about I knew about cartoons. You know, not allowed to put crosses and stuff in cemeteries or. Or graveyards and stuff. I, I, but that was the extent of what I, what I knew. Well, in, when uh, Marv Wolfman was working on the Ruby Spears Superman from the eighties, mm-hmm. 
they had a scene where Superman was fighting a robot, and they're like, no, you can't really have him hit it because the robot has a soul. That's how ridiculous the Saturday morning aspects were, and the comics code was just about that that bad. Yeah. Insane. Well, you know, but you know, I you know, it brings to mind, you know, where the I, I believe the comics code authority stepped in on the issue of Green Lantern, where Kyle's girlfriend is killed. Oh yeah. And you know what the the, the alternative they came up with ends up looking way worse. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, because you know. what you what you don't see bothers you, right? Speaking of, one thing that stood out on the reread that I really didn't catch, and I, I also was looking at a Louis Simonson interview who wrote part of the story, mm-hmm. was Lois having to watch all this. And, oh yeah, and how they actually wrote the character so she has. I mean, it, my interpretation was she has this default reporter mode because yes. she's watching her fiance, you know, getting killed. I mean, just beaten to death brutally right. and she's all she can do is report it and i think that was an interesting aspect of lois that it, i don't know if anybody's really touched on beyond no yeah you know you know she can't you know even after the even after it's over she can't come out and say you know anything no but yeah that was the i mean it was monumental and it it changed me because at 15 that to me, uh, I mean, this is going to be corny, you know. I don't want to sound too dramatic, but that was kind of an end of innocence. Yeah, comics stopped being, you know, fun and suddenly became life-altering. Right. Well, I mean, it's definitely, you know, I've heard it said by people before. Comics have grown up with, with I think, mostly with our generation. Oh, certainly. You well, know, you went from, I mean, I mean, around the time we were born, Julia Shorts was in charge and. It was already starting that way, but then burn happened, and you had a whole slew of writers that tried to add layer and depth to it. Mm-hmm. And this was one of the crowning achievements. Of the, I mean, kudos to them, because they actually managed to pull off a story that brought the world's attention to Superman, and, you know, right. fan and non-fan alike. And it may have kind of brought in the spectator market, non-fans coming yeah. in trying to buy books to to pay for their kids' college eventually, but hey, you know what? I remember the story, I remember the emotions, and they were real to me. Right. Okay. You know, I, I went back, uh, you know, here a couple of years ago, I read for the first time, actually, Crisis on Infinite Earths. Oh, yeah. It makes me wonder why this had the impact that it did, but Crisis didn't. Well, I mean, well, you had the Flash dying in Crisis, at that time, I mean, comics were viewed more as a children's medium, and I think it was the Man of Steel reboot that kind of started bringing uh, Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen that started bringing right. mainstream adults in. Right. Because I've watched comics go from being written for kids to literally being aimed at 19 to 25 sure. and up. And, I mean, you don't see that many young kids reading comics anymore. No. And I think it was, you know, we saw the beginning of that trend and who knows where it goes right you know that's been great though for for fans like us though you know well yeah Um, what about you know if we had kids right it'd be a different deal i mean i've got i've got an incredible collection of trades and graphic novels and i would say that out of all the ones i have and i have quite a few Probably 10% or less are probably 
what are 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 something that I could that I could hand my nephew. Oh yeah. See, I try. I, you know, I I've got you know I've got two nephews that are into superheroes, and every once in a while I come across I've got two issues of something. It's happened quite a few times. So I I give them to my nephews, and not thinking about it. I'm not a parent. I'm I'm just the fun uncle. Um. There's been a couple of times my sister has been like, hey, no, I, I don't, <laughs> you know, not this one, you know, and uh, it's just, you know, too scary. So, you know. Well, this one may have been the red flag to the public that comics aren't for kids anymore. I mean, you're killing the most kid-friendly character in in, in comics. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was definitely the a most- turning point, another turning point in comics. Right. And he was he was he is the most identifiable. Oh yeah, most certainly. Followed followed by Spider Man, probably is the second most identifiable with children. Uh, with children, yeah, Spider Man. Yeah. And well, any any we're almost out of time. Any final thoughts? Just that uh, it, you know, this is what brought my focus on a character, and. You know, if you're going to have somebody kill the man of steel, uh, in my opinion, I, may, people may think I'm crazy, but Doomsday has got to be the coolest villain of all time. Well, at that time, yeah, Doomsday, we had no idea what or who he was and where he came from. And of course, they fleshed that out later, but it was just, I pop up, I kill Superman, and I'm gone. I think that added to it. The fact that you had no idea who this this character was. And, you know... It's it's almost like you know what makes Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees so scary. He didn't talk. Yeah. He didn't say anything. He just took he was joy. Pure in what rage. He did. <laughs> yes. And you know, while we're at it, let's go ahead and mourn Bambi, who was killed in the early part of the story, and that nice, sweet nature scene. <laughs> right, right, and and you know who who could forget Tweety getting it? Too oh yeah. At the very... <laughs> it, it, I mean, he, there was no redemption for Doomsday. Luthor can occasionally have a good moment. Doomsday yeah. was just straight mean, straight violence, straight hatred. The yeah. maybe the best opposite of the Man of Steel. Death personified. Yep. But yeah, it, I have to say it was one of those things that that brought focus to the medium, and I think it was whether you were a comic book fan or not. I think everybody felt shock at the fact that they would kill an iconic character like that. Well, yeah, even my mom suddenly had an eye on comics. Yeah. It was earth-shattering. Yes. Not just in the term of comics, but in term of pop culture as a whole. Yes. I think yeah. That, and I think that may say it best, it was one of the biggest events in comics ever, and will probably remain that way. Yes. Yeah. You know, and the only problem that I see is that now, because of the fact they killed him and he came back, I think it's kind of put kind of a black cloud over any kind of earth shatter. You know, now we're in a we we're in a time where it's just one death after the other and one crisis into the next crisis. Yeah, and and. People forget. I think people forget how much fun that is. I mean, I I like that. I like the crisis. I like to, to see you know 
it makes it fun. Yeah, but not it makes it interesting. one after another after another. I mean, suddenly after this, yeah. you had uh, Green Lantern go bad. You had Batman yep. get his back broken. It it yeah. it became a trend, and this was at least original. It was eye catching, and probably one of the best, most iconic Superman stories ever told. Oh, absolutely! It was the first time it ever been done. Oh yeah, and it's my, it, to to date. It is my favorite Superman story. It would be in my top three. Yeah, definitely. In fact, I'm getting ready to read it again here before too long. I love it that much. I went back through it. It was gut-wrenching still. Mm-hmm. Even 18 years past. Yeah. <laughs> I I think I read it two years ago. Um, it's been a couple years since I read it. But uh, after I finished it, this is, this is you talk about cheesy, but it's, it made it more fun for me. After I read the death storyline, I, uh, I put in the CD of uh, Crash Test Dummies and played the Superman song. And, it, and to me, it just, it just it just took me back, you know, to when I was 15. Like, you know, it oh, was yeah. just... And I felt the same way. I mean, just going back through it this week was... It brought it, it literally, I cleared my head, and it, and it ended up being like the first time again. And that's the mark hallmark of a good story. Sure. So this was something that transcended event comics like we see now and became something of a milestone, a genuine milestone. Yep. Yeah, and I think the only way we're ever going to get back to that again is they're going to have to quit with the with the crises and the disappearing in time and, you know, the dead rising from the grave. They're going to have to put those stories away for a while. Yeah. Because if you lost watch, their impact. Yeah, exactly. Now we're all, our skin's a little tougher and we're just like, really right. It's kind of like, right. a, kind of like the, you know, the comic companies are the, the boy that cried wolf. Sure. And you can't, I don't know that you can get a story like this today. I mean, no, this no. you know, this week they actually Marvel actually released a um, solicitation for February, and the t- the cover showed Death of Spider Man, and I just kind of shrugged. Sure, because they're yeah. we know better. They're not going to kill him right before a major movie, and it's just you know at this time this was original, and comics definitely took it as a trend, and maybe took it too far. Yeah, but you know they did it right because they nowadays. They say, oh, we're going to kill a character, and in the same breath say, but he'll be back, you know, before too long. Yeah. You know, back then, they just said, we're killing him, and they kept the fact that he was coming back a secret. Yeah, well, back then, the term Bucky dead meant something. Right. That meant a character actually did stay dead, and unfortunately now Bucky's back. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, I mean, you think about it, Captain America's been killed twice. True. And has come back both times. He got better. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's about the time we have for that. Next week, we'll continue this with Funeral for a Friend. Excellent. The Doomsday storyline appeared in Superman the Man of Steel number 18, Justice League America number 69, Superman number 74, Adventures of Superman 497, Action Comics 684, Superman the Man of Steel number 19, and then Superman number 75, and is also collected in trade paperback form under the name The Death of Superman. Has the Man of Steel met his match? An editor at DC Comics says Superman will die November 18th. 
after 50 some odd years, to get people to notice, sometimes you have to go to extremes. No, they're not going to kill Superman. I think they do it just to get money, and then, like, he's going to revive in two days. Before we head off this week, I wanted to do a couple of quick reviews, very quick because we're running long. I wanted to take a look at Supergirl Annual Number no. 2, written by Sterling Gates with art by Matt Camp and Marco Rudy. And this was actually an issue that got uh, a total of three and a half stars out of five. It was a, well, actually, I'm going to go ahead and give it an even four. It was a great romp where Supergirl re-meets the Legion of Superheroes for the quote-unquote first time. And, of course, it rekindles the romance between Brainiac 5 and Kara. Plus, it has a great scene, and this is a spoiler, where Kara enlists the help of Jimmy Olsen robots, a full army of Jimmy Olsons in full transformation gear from Elastic Lad up to Werewolf Jimmy. And I'm sorry, any issue that features that is phenomenal. And this was just a great fun. It is apparently setting up for a larger storyline over in the Supergirl book, which I'm sad to hear Sterling Gates is actually leaving relatively soon. He's, he's done a great run on that book. So four stars out of five, um, drawn down a little bit by Marco Rudy's art, which was good but not great. But Matt Camp's art definitely held up to the to the challenge, and this is a great issue. If you run across it in your local shop, pick this one up. And in honor of the reprint coming out this week, I pulled out my ratty copy of Superman vs. Muhammad Ali, and this issue sits in a weird time zone. A lot of Silver Age stories get a free pass for me just because there's not a lot of levity to it. It's just straight sci-fi silly fun. This one was out of that range. It was in the Julius Shorts era where they had moved more towards what would become the, the burn era with the continuity-heavy stories um, trying to connect to each other, but still a little silly. But the, the expectations are a little bit different with those. And I'm sorry, when you bring a real-world person like Muhammad Ali into the mix and fighting off an alien invasion you got to kind of let it go and just enjoy the story. And certainly I love the cover and trying to pick out all the celebrities. I love the key inside. And the fact that Don Knotts appears on the cover is A-OK in my book. And Neil Adams uh, wrote and drew the book based on Denny O'Neill's story, which features uh, Superman depowered doing a straight boxing match against Muhammad Ali and just getting beaten down. This isn't a Rocky Balboa story where Superman triumphs, per se. In fact, Muhammad Ali is just as much a hero as he is. But how can you ever be mad at Neil Adams' art? You, you simply cannot. So it was just a fun story. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and give it four out of five stars. Just because some of the silliness got to it, got to me. And the ironic thing is, when this book actually finally hit stands, Ali was not the champ anymore. He'd already lost it to Leon Spinks. And he would regain that title, but after, after the book was out. Uh, leading to Spider-Man <laughs> book, uh, making a joke... When offered to uh, do a scene with this, with Leon Spinks, he said he may not even be the champ by the time this book comes out. So even if it's in reprint form, definitely uh, pay the price tag of nineteen ninety nine for the Superman vs. Muhammad Ali reprint. 
or $39.99 if you want it in a larger size. But the $19.99 version does feature bonus content, and that's actually a fair price for a hardcover of a, of a classic of this magnitude. And that actually wraps up this third episode of Superman Forever Radio. I want to thank you for listening. And, of course, uh, if you get a chance, leave a review on iTunes. I always appreciate that, good or bad. And uh, you can contact, if you have any thoughts, you can contact us at the at the message line at 703-95-SUPER, or uh, as it would be known numerically, 703-957-8737. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at Superman, the number four, ever. Superman forever. Drop me an email at mail at supermanforever.com. And uh, next, of course, you can always visit supermanforever.com. Um, I'm there daily, multiple times a day. So next week, uh, Superman Batman review, funeral for a friend discussion, and failed interviews I've done for this podcast. Until then, uh, I wish you good luck until the never ending battle resumes. Superman and all related characters are copyright and trademark DC Comics.